Principal Matters Podcast, episode 316. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about Recalibrate Your Culture, part two, with my special guest, Jimmy Casas. Jimmy Casas has been an educator for over 30 years, serving 22 years as a school leader, including 14 years as principal of Bittendorf High School. If you listen to the last episode, Principal Matters Podcast 315, I gave a long introduction of Jimmy Casas. He is a former Iowa Secondary Principal of the Year. He's the author of eight great books. He is the owner of Connect Ed Publishing, which did my book, Pause, Breathe, Flourish. And Jimmy is also a dear friend. Jimmy Casas, welcome back to a second session as we talk about your newest book, Recalibrate the Culture, Our Why, Our Work, and Our Values. Why don't you uh, tell listeners a little bit about um, where you are today? Why why, why you, are you so close to Tulsa and you did not come to see me? <laughs> I know. I am in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I'm here uh, the last couple of days working with the district. I had the opportunity yesterday to work with the superintendent and all the central office staff. They are committed to really on systems work right now. And we're doing a lot of work on recalibration right now because we're trying to get everyone aligned, right? Um, The way I see it in recalibration, you'll know this, Will, is that I do see it as different entities, right? In different communities or different levels or whatever words you want to use. But really, there's this system, right? Which in this case would be the school system. But within that school system, I do see there are three levels or three communities that would be district office, the building level, and the classroom level. And what we're trying to do is replicate the practices within each of those communities to create this system, right? And so um, in these, you know, it's best practice because we know that districts are aligned in their work, right? Everybody's doing the best they can, but as soon as one level or one community isn't following a protocol or a framework, or they're doing something that's hurting the culture, then the whole system crumbles. It becomes dysfunctional, right? It hurts the system. So uh, I am blessed to to work with amazing educators and leaders here. And today I spent the day in buildings, uh, working with principals, um, and we're practicing these things and we're observing and watching, we're coaching, right? We're seeing if they get better results and the good news is so far they are. So the more, the better the results, the better for me, because they start believing in what we're talking about and what we're teaching. So well, for Principal Matters listeners, they know that I live in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, which is only about an hour and a half from you. So I already forgave you for not letting me know ahead of time that you were just right down the road. But I'm also heading out of town tomorrow to be down in Brazos Port ISD. So if there's anyone listening from that area, I'm probably already back after when you hear this uh-huh. this episode. But but Jimmy, I know at some point we're going to be able to reconnect. We've been on so many of these settings together with the National Association of Secondary Principals and having you here in Oklahoma. And I have followed your work for such a long time. And I just have to say how what a privilege it is for me to sit across from you, to learn from you, uh, and to be mentored by you, even in the work that I do now in coaching and, and consulting and helping with principals too. Your new book is such a rich resource for anyone who wants lots and lots of amazing takeaways for how to recalibrate their own leadership. And in the last session, we talked about the core values that you have for, you know, those, those areas of leading from your core values, cultivating a community of leaders, building up leaders 
shipping other people. And I wanted to start this session with you by talking about the part of your book where you, you talk about seeing the culture through the eyes of others. And in that chapter, you talk about the four most important or the four most powerful words that a leader can ask. What are those four most important words in English? And why are they important for seeing culture through the eyes of others? Uh, well, that's funny. He says in English because he knows earlier, I said, well, there's only three in Spanish. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so here's how I see it. So if I had to say, what is the overarching theme of Culturize? It's all about seeing the culture to the eyes of others, right? I-Z-E was really a play on words. What I didn't do a very good job in Culturize was really separating and helping people understand the premises of Culturize, one of those premises being seeing the culture through the eyes of others. And the reason that's important is because when I think of someone who culturizes, what I envision is this, is that they bring a group of people together, right? Whether that's a faculty, a leadership team, a student body, whatever. They bring a group of people together and they share this vision, right? Because that's what I believe leaders do. They share this vision but then I try to encourage people to understand that I believe the way to achieve that vision is to start with the four most powerful words in leadership. I need your help, right? And the reason is, is because it aligns with premise number two is that we have to cultivate a community of leaders because we can't take that vision on by ourselves, right? I'm a believer that everybody's responsible for the culture and, you know, of an organization. Everybody is. We all play a role in that. But our job is to bring clarity to people, to help them understand if they do this, if we do this, that whole idea of collective efficacy, then guess what? We can make anything happen because I know this, no one from the outside is going to come into my building and do it for me, right? But when we have a group of teachers who are talented and educated and passionate and have degrees, then hell, what's keeping us from doing these things? Well, what I learned is because we don't have the right processes in place or we don't have the right systems in place, right? Or the frameworks or the protocols. And so, so part of it to me is to bring those people together, share that vision, explain that I need their help, and then give everybody in that room a voice to help us together create this plan. How are we going to go from point A to point B? And then my job is to provide them with a platform to give them a voice, to create the process, to make sure that we're moving forward. And then more importantly is to communicate ongoing effectively the progress that we're making. And hopefully, hopefully if we're doing that, we begin to champion and we begin to build this momentum and people get excited. Now people believe, oh my God, we can actually do this, right? We can actually make this happen. You bet we can. And once we do that once, it gives people hope. And to me, that's what recalibrates about. That's what culturize about. So live your excellence. I write about hope. I want to give people hope that things can be better because if we don't believe things can be better than what the hell are we doing here, Will? <laughs> why, why am I doing this right now with you? Because I believe it. I believe it. As long as we continue to reflect on our own behavior and see what we're contributing, if we do things differently, we may not fix every problem because we can't. But you know what will happen in my experience? We'll get a better result more often than not. And I think that's part of our growth as leaders. So that's how I see the culturize as an as a overall premise. And then if we can make that happen and people see that we have hope and it actually comes to fruition and we move something and we improve it or we take it from average and it becomes excellent or we became, oh my God, look what we're doing now and people are excited about it. Now we can replicate that, right? And, and when we do that, 
we celebrate it, right? We celebrate the hell out of it, right? Because people work really, really hard. And what I've learned, people will, is people don't mind working hard. People don't even mind doing one more thing. As long as I see that we're getting some results from it, please let me know that my work and the time and the effort is paying off, right? That's what they get frustrated about. And I think we misread that sometimes. I think a lot of principals are like, oh, I don't want to give my staff one more thing to do. I don't want to give my sex. So they just keep taking it on, taking it on, taking it on. And in the meantime, they're just burning out, right? They're fried, they're exhausted, but that's okay. We'll just die here as a martyr. And then we'll complain to everybody else how we have to do everything, right? We just get caught in these traps. So to me, that framework of seeing it, the culture through the eyes of others is really about using a process to give people a voice to help us as leaders identify where are the undercurrents in our organization? What's hurting our culture? Because I won't see it, right? I won't see it. And uh, it's amazing to me that when I say to a principal, have you ever walked into a classroom and observed a teacher do something that as soon as they did it, you thought, oh my God, that's not going to be good. That's going to hurt them. That's going to hurt that relationship with the kid. You know why? You saw the undercurrent they created. Guess what? They didn't see it. They didn't see it at all. Well, the same thing, there's a parallel between that. We do the same thing. We just don't see it. So how do we create a culture where people feel like they have a voice and because we invest time in people, they trust us that they can actually tell us what they really think without fear of retribution, without fear of retaliation, without fear of they're going to get in trouble. That's why I hate anonymous surveys. Well, they just, they're gross, right? They, they hurt our culture. So people, it just, it's the worst thing we do to our organizations. Anonymous surveys are culture killers. And the reason is, is because we still give them because we convince ourselves that we have to, because if we don't, well, people won't tell us the truth. And the reason they won't tell us the truth is because of where they're going to get in trouble. Then I always ask them, what does that tell us about our real culture, right? And that's how we have to begin to see it. So to change that practice, to change that type of current existing culture, we change ourselves and we do things differently to get a better result. And what I learned is if we can sit down with people and ask questions and say, hey, what am I not seeing? Okay. We're thinking about doing this. If we do this, what is the undercurrent that this would create that I cannot see? They'll see it. The teachers will know because the teachers always know where the undercurrent is in the building. By the way, kids always know where the undercurrent is in the classroom. And you guessed it. If superintendents were to give principals a voice that intentionally, oh, they'll tell you where the undercurrent is that the superintendents are creating the district. They just don't see it. So how do we create this culture where we're using all eyes to help us create this really, really healthy culture? But we have to be really intentional in that to create that process. Well, what I appreciate about the wisdom in that, Jimmy, is um, two things. One is in order to see your culture through the eyes of others, you have to give them voice. And, and that voice isn't simply circling up your admin team and asking them how they see your school. I mean, that's one voice, but it's looking at your school through the eyes of everyone you serve. And so, and you do this in your book where you talk about how do you create those areas of voice, whether that's uh, bringing students together to hear their voices, bringing leaders together to hear their voices, including parents so that you hear their voice. And I know that sounds like a lot of extra work, but it's actually, you're, you're creating the scenarios in which you can then see your school through the eyes of other people. And, and then the flip side of that, the second part of that, that I like is that once you recognize that, oh crap, we have a lot of growing to do. We have a lot of areas that we need to improve. I didn't realize how much my culture needs to shift. That's the point when those four words come in really become really important, which is I need your help. If you've gained the trust of these voices, 
then leaning on them for help in changing those things is the only way forward because you're certainly not going to have the capacity to do it alone. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, part of that is funny you say that, Will, because when you ask leaders, because they won't disagree with you, they'll take, oh my God, absolutely. But the first thing, here's what they say, where am I going to find time to do all that? Mm-hmm. Time is always the reason why we don't do things, right? But what they don't see, here's the reframing, right? Here's the reframing of it. And we talk about this at Recalibrate is you got to trade that time because what they don't see is they, they being administrators or teachers with kids or whatever, you know, all of us or me or we, if we don't put that time in on the front end, what we don't see is by not putting on the front end, it created an issue. It created a problem. It created a dilemma. It created a fire. And now I have to go over here on the back end and go extinguish that fire. That means I have to meet with people. I have to sit down and have all these meetings. I have to ask somebody to document it and write me what happened. I have to go meet with the superintendent to explain to them what just took place, right? All those things that happened, but we don't count that time. Took me time to do this, time to do this time. And what we learned is you will multiply that time tenfold all because we convinced ourselves we didn't have time to do it here on the front end. And so one of the things I'm trying to help leaders do is let's, let me model it for you. Let's see if I can create an experience that you'll watch it, you'll experience it, and then you'll want to replicate it. Uh, because we know this will, and that is the joy of the work, right? That's the fun part of the work. People were growing and developing minds and people, and we're making things happen, but we're doing it together. But if I don't do that, I'm going to pay for it over here on the back end. We call that recovery time. I'm in recovery mode, and recovery mode is exhausting. And quite frankly, it's stressful because you have, you're anxious, you're worried, you know you're going to have to have that conversation. But God, if I just would have had the conversation on the front end, it would have been about teaching and learning and getting better and excitement and energy. And oh my God, we're dreaming and scheming. And over here, I'm picking up the pieces and this is yucky. And so we have to help people reframe and to trade the time. Let me give you just a really practical example for Principal Matters listeners. And again, whenever I share my practice, it doesn't mean it has to be yours, but I'm just I'm just trying to give you something to apply that to. So Jimmy, in the last high school that I led, we had 750 ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders which was a community I could wrap my arms around. When I was an AP before that, it was a school with 1,400. And that's a larger group of kids to try to wrap your arms around. But in that smaller school, which is still large for some people, I recognized that one of the tasks that I disliked the most was um, presentation of student handbooks at the beginning of the school year. You, know, you pull them all into a big assembly. You try to get them all you know, information. You make sure they all sign their documentations. And then none of them listen or or then in 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 later you're wondering if it why did I even go through that except for the the documentation so I at some point I made a shift where I decided to on the front end schedule out a couple of weeks where I went in to every single English class small groups and I presented to those kids in small group settings the expectations of our school of course went through the handbook but i also wanted to build relationships and ask questions for them and cast a vision for where we we're going as a school and highlight those things that most easily derail kids from getting their diplomas or finishing school and talk through scenarios and so by the time i finished it was exhausting and i remember other people would ask me even admin friends why are you doing that i mean that takes so much time at the beginning of your school year and it's because of that reason jimmy the time i invested early on building those expectations with those students in small groups saved me hours and days and weeks of time later, because whenever something did happen in the school that required me to sit down with a student and talk about a bad choice or a poor choice, 
they remembered that conversation. I could mm -hmm. circle back. And it also prevented a lot of other things from happening because we had already established on the front end what those expectations were in a time and place that, that meant something to them more than just a quick assembly. So I'm just giving that as one tiny example of how the front end time affects the, the time you save on the back end. Yeah. And that is a great example because we know that a lot of us do those types of things and we convince ourselves is because, well, I don't have time to do it any other way. And basically what we're doing is we're just checking the box. We're just complying. We're just doing what we have to do. And then we're moving on. And then we're picking up the pieces later. And when, then we're frustrated, right? We're frustrated. And again, you see what happens. We're on the perimeter. We're going to blame that kid. We're on the perimeter instead of looking inward and say, no, if I did it differently, here's the thing. We know that didn't solve all the problems because somebody's still going to say, well, Will, you can't tell me kids still did. No, I didn't say that. What I'm saying to you is I got a better result. Mm -hmm. I got a better result. And every time I get a better result, that means less undercurrents for me. And, uh, and that's really what it's about. Well, this leads into the question I want to ask you next, because um, and I, I'm so glad I was prepared with this question, Jimmy, because I, um, I really want you to, to, you're so good at frameworks. And in your chapter where you talk about average exists in every organization and how in every community, um, three areas affect the morale and performance of staff, which you identify as systems, people, fire. And I love how you just take big ideas and break them down into categories like this. So go there for a moment. Can you explain how systems, people, and fire help you identify areas where morale and performance may need to be improved and where leaders can keep those areas in their own minds in terms of where they need to be focusing um, with those perspectives? Yeah, this will be a little challenging because I'm doing this without visuals, but I'm going to sure. try my very best. So here's what I want you to think about it is that, you know, first of all, uh, there are these three levels within a system or three communities. And those three communities are classrooms, they are buildings, and they are district office. So those three entities together make up, in my opinion, the entire school system. But within each of those internal or what we're calling, let's call them um, internal systems, right? Or subsystems or communities or levels, whatever you want to call them. Within those levels, there are things that are happening that are creating these issues for us that we just don't see. So one of the things I started realizing, Will, again, and, and a lot of this came through the pandemic as I was in schools, I was trying to figure out why are some schools just falling apart and why are some schools still just doing fine, right? Yeah, they have some bumps in the road and they got some challenges, but they're not they're not just falling apart, right? They're just, it's just not happening. And so I was trying to figure out what's the difference between this school and this school and why is one still functioning at a high level and other ones are just, they're floundering, right? And so I started interviewing people and I started asking questions. And one of the things I realized really quickly, especially with the superintendents, is that the superintendents who were, in my opinion, being successful still and still having a healthy culture, right? You know, of course, they had issues, but not, again, like some of these that were just completely demoralized, is that what I found out is they spent a lot of time working on their systems and working on their people, okay? And so what I learned at the district office, what that meant is that the superintendent was very intentional, and I noticed right away through the interviews that they did these three things. One is that they spent a lot of time being very intentional, focusing on the strategic plan. The strategic plan was a focus of everything they did. They never let people forget what our vision is, what we're committed to, where we're going, how we're doing it. That was the forefront of every meeting they had. It was always a part of the meeting. Hey, how did this tie into the strategic plan? Hey, as we go do this work, remember, 
I want you to see how this ties back in the strategic plan. We're making progress. They're giving results. They're giving updates. It was really, because it gives people hope. Oh my God, this is working. We got a vision. We got a plan. We know what we're doing. Remember that clarity, right? And remember, just like Brene Brown says, that's why she says clear is kind, unclear is unkind. What she means is like, if you're not clear, people are going to get anxious. They're going to get nervous. They're going to get worried. They're going to hesitate. They're going to lose confidence. All these negative things that will happen to that. But when we're clear and we give people like specific examples and we're constantly communicating that, right, it creates a healthier culture. And so we want to be really kind, kind and be very clear because if we're not, the downside is people are going to make up their own narrative. And usually when they do, that's not going to be very positive usually for us. So not only were we working on their systems, they were really intentional in teaching. In other words, they knew there were fires. The superintendent had no problem going down to a building to work with the principal on a situation with a family or a parent or a code of conduct or whatever it was. But the difference was, is that they would invest time to really spend time with that principal to say, hey, so talk to me about how this happened. How did we land here? In other words, they wanted to understand it so they could reteach. They needed to teach these people. Look, I don't mind coming down here and helping you, but I don't want to keep coming down here and helping you, right? In other words, they worked on their people. They were really intentional in growing and developing their people. Now, the one area that some places struggle with, and they were very honest about it, is oftentimes there was one area they would neglect. Now, some did it, but oftentimes the one area that was neglected was the principals. They would say to me, the one area that I feel like I haven't done a very good job of is coaching my principals. Jimmy, I just, I, I haven't had time. And what I learned by that is those that were in healthy systems, they've had time. You know why? Because they weren't in the fire all the time. But those superintendents that found themselves in the fire couldn't work on their principals, couldn't spend time with them because they were always putting out fires. And guess, by the way, who's creating the fires? Principals were for them, right? Sometimes it was school board members. Sometimes it was cabinet members. So we started breaking down and realizing that superintendents who were strategic, they worked on their system, which meant they worked on the strategic plan. They were intentional in growing, developing their cabinet team and meeting regularly with their board team to make sure that we're all on the same page, communicating effectively, bringing them up to speed, very, very intentional. And so they built this team and then they would go, they'd give principals a voice. They actually asked principals, hey, if we do this as a district, what is this going to cause? What is this going to create? And principals say, hey, you gotta be careful because if you do that, here's what's gonna happen. So they were seeing the culture, the potential undercurrent through the eyes of the principal. So this all made sense. So then we started saying, well, if we're doing it at the district level, why aren't we doing it at the building level? And how could we align that? And then that's the work I started doing. Let's say, hey, listen, if the district's going to work at the strategic plan, let's align that work. Remember, let's replicate these, you know, these processes, these frameworks and all these things across the, the district. Let's make sure in the building then that the principals understand that they too have to work on their system. And for them, their system was their school improvement plan. So can you see the can you see it replicating? The district's working on the strategic plan, buildings working on the school improvement plan. Districts working on their cabinet team, principals working on their admin team or they're working on their building leadership team. Principals are given or superintendents are given principals a voice, therefore principals I need to give you make sure that you're giving teachers a voice. And now we're replicating the systems within the systems and that's what we began to do. So the bottom line is this the unhealthy systems were always in the fire. The majority of the time, 50, 60, most of their day was in the fire. They're, therefore, they're not working on their school improvement plan. They're not working on their people. That's why they're in the fire. And this is why people are exhausted and they're just tired. 
and they're burned out. And it's because they can't see it. They can't see that when you neglect your system and you neglect your people, you will be in the fire. It, there's so much wisdom in that, Jimmy. And so for Principal Matters listeners, I, I just want to see if I can be succinct in summarizing. When you take the opportunity to invest in those relationships and people, and when those systems become something that moves from that moves across all of those spheres, which includes the way your district operates, the way your building operates, the way your teachers operate, and the way students operate, because just because all of those all of those pieces include processes, then you actually find yourself over time working the process instead of constantly working the fires. It doesn't mean you eliminate fires but it actually means that you begin to see reductions in fires when you have stronger processes and stronger investments in people. And Jimmy, in your book, I, I love how you actually show kind of percentages for healthy cultures, how much time people are contributing to those and investing in those versus unhealthy cultures. And it's those unhealthy cultures that spend the majority of their time putting out fires. And I don't want anyone listening to this right now to feel like, well, crap, that's all I do is put out fires. I must be unhealthy. I, I want what I want you to do is remember that that yes, every leader is putting out a fire every single day. That's just a part of the work that we do. I I, I joke around that my wife used to ask me at the end of the day, "How was your day?" And if I ever if I ever relayed to her my day that didn't involve someone crying, she was like, "Oh." That's pretty good. Well, I, I didn't hear you say anybody cried today. And so, so it, it even okay. in my best days, someone usually cried. So I'm not saying yeah. that, that you're ever going to hit utopia in your leadership, but the time that you invest in your people and the time that you invest in those systems, just like in a good classroom, the better processes and systems that you have, then the, then the fewer fires you're putting out because of how those processes and investments in people support and reduce the fires. So anything yeah, else you want to add to that? Jimmy? We want to help. Yeah, we want to help them reframe it a little bit, Will. And you're actually right. So what we want to do is, what we want to do is we want to find the point where we're spending the majority of the time working on our system and working on our people. If not, we're going to spend more time in the fire, and that does lead to burnout. We don't want people there. But what we want to do is see the fire as an opportunity, right? That fire is just an opportunity. It's an opportunity to teach, right? People aren't trying to create fires for us, right? No, no more than a principal is trying to create a fire. But we do create the fire, and that's why we have to take time to teach. So if we slow down, invest in people, and teach, then we'll teach them, and they'll get better at it. Therefore, they'll create less fires for you. So working on their people is actually kind of fun. It's the joy of the work. It's the teaching again. It's the reteaching. It's just like in the classroom. So we just want to be able to recognize that, that if we don't spend more time teaching, we're going to spend our time in the fire, and that is not good for anybody. And so... And teachers, they're in the fire too, right? And that's because they need to spend more time teaching kids and superintendents need to spend more time teaching principals. And again, that's why I say we're all responsible for the culture and climate of the organization. Let's just see it differently and ask ourselves, how in some ways am I contributing to that? And what can I do dif differently to get a better result so I can get myself out of the fire? Well, Jimmy Casas, there are a million other questions I want to ask you, but I'm just going to encourage Principal Matters listeners to buy the book because just like I could sit here all day long and just keep asking for more and more of your examples. Um, so I'm just going to wet their taste and let you know that principal managers listeners, when you pick up a copy of this book, you're going to want to read the section where Jimmy talks about not everything is a level 10. 
you're going to want to look, you're going to want to read his stories because Jimmy starts every chapter with an amazing story that really captures the heart of what he's saying throughout this entire book. But the book is Recalibrate the Culture, Our Why, Our Work, Our Values. You can find it at connected2ds.org. Order your book today. And Jimmy, I'm going to bet at some point there'll be a study guide because usually with your work, I'm seeing study guides later, but I'm not going to put any pressure on you just in case, but I'm going to bet at some point there's how can a principal, principal matters listeners stay connected with you, Jimmy? And what are any closing thoughts that you have? Yeah, that study guide's coming. Well, I'm working on it right now. I'm working on it right now. It'll be out here. We'll have her done the next couple of weeks. So we're working on it. So I appreciate it. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I would love to connect with people. I love connecting with people. It's one of my favorite things to do. I tell people I still do all my own social media because I just like to connect with people. And, and if people reach out, I think I'm pretty good at getting back to people. So jimmycostas.com is the best place to get a hold of me because you can find my contact email, cell number, all those types of things. You can reach out and contact us there at jimmycosta.com, Twitter, Instagram, or my, probably my two major platforms. I do do Facebook and LinkedIn, but really those are my go-to platforms. Costas underscore Jimmy for both of those. And would love to connect with you. And as far as the final thought, Will, you know, I'd love to think that I've got this, you know, great amount of wisdom and so forth right now that I could offer. But I'll, I'll just say this, is that I believe people do the best they can. And I think that if we slow down and go back to the foundation of where we all started, is that we all started and we sat in that interview chair. And everybody who's in this field of education that we love so dearly, that we believe is still the most important profession there is in this country, I know this, that every one of us killed that interview. And you know how I know that? Because they hired us. Mm -hmm. And everything you said in that interview chair, just like I did, it was sincere. It was genuine. You meant it. It came from your heart. It came from your core. And I know that every one of us wanted to be great at what we did. We want to make a difference. But then life happens and things come at us 100 miles an hour. And sometimes things don't turn out the way we thought they were going to do. And we start doubting and we start questioning whether or not we can do this. And I'm here to tell you can. And if you're struggling right now out there, if you're a listener who's questioning, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I hope that I give you a little bit of hope. And remember this, that the good news is all you have to do is go back and sit in that interview chair because that's the real you. That doesn't ever go away. You just need to slow down and say, no, I know who I said I wanted to be and who I was going to be. And there's nothing from keeping us from being that person. So just go back and recalibrate, sit in that chair because that's the real you. And I will continue from this end to pray for you and God bless you for what you do because you do the most amazing work and we need you healthy and we need you vibrant, but most importantly, we need you believing. So God bless for what you do. Thank you, Will, for what you do. And uh, I am just honored to be a part of this. And I know you have a tremendous following and I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And if I can do anything for anybody who's listening today, I promise you this, if you reach out to me, I promise I'll be there to support you always. Well, Jimmy Costas, as always, I'm so inspired by just getting to spend some time with you. And Principal Matters listeners, I know you are too. So please reach out to Jimmy and connect with his resources and follow him on social media. And you will continue to be inspired by that work. Jimmy Costas, thank you so much. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you for doing what matters. And I'll talk to you next week. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.